Good Company is a production of iHeartRadio. Could we look at the city itself and could that be one giant multiplex? Hi, I'm Michael Casson. Welcome to Good Company, where I'll explore how marketing, media, entertainment, and tech are intersecting, transforming our lives and the way we do business at a breakneck speed. I'll be joined by some of the greatest business minds and strongest leaders who will share how they've built companies from the ground up or transformed them from the inside out. My bet is you'll pick up a lesson or two along the way. It's all good. This is a particular pleasure for me today to welcome a very good friend and truly a bold-faced name, an Oscar and an Emmy-nominated producer, and the CEO and the co-founder of Tribeca Enterprises, Jane Rosenthal. Jane, I'm so excited to be able to share a, a session, a good company with you. Welcome. Thank you, Michael. It's great to be here and uh, great to see you. Uh, great to see you on Zoom. <laughs> there you go, on the planet called Zoom. So, Jane, I want to dive right in. After a unprecedented, and I don't know if that word is strong enough, unprecedented year, Tribeca 2021 is teed up to be not only the first major film festival to return, but really not only in New York City, but, but across the world. And, you know, it's a big responsibility. And the way you've reimagined the festival over these 20 years, which is crazy for me, because as you recall, we got to meet each other right at the very start that first year of the Tribeca Film Festival. And I always tell the story of that moment and what you did to really bring back Tribeca. And here we are 20 years later, and you're leading the charge not only to reimagine the Tribeca Festival, but to really be a considered portion of bringing New York back yet again. So it's a big responsibility, but someone had to do it. So thank you, Jane. Can you talk a little bit about that and kind of the foundational aspects? Um, thank you, Michael, for saying all that. Um, you know, we we started the film festival in 2001, uh, right after right after 9/11, to really bring uh, you know our community back together. At that time, we would say the world didn't need another film festival, but Tribeca did. Uh, we put that festival together in 120 days. Uh, and, you know, I honestly didn't know that I had signed long-term contracts with people like American Express and Anheuser-Busch. And uh, I didn't really know what sponsorship or partnership and activation uh, was all about. I thought we were only doing it once. Um, anyway, uh, here we are, it's 20 years later. We have always been about reinventing ourselves to a certain extent as a producer. It's fun to think how you can reimagine and rebuild something. So for us, um, as we started to plan for this festival, we started to look at what we would be able to do outdoors. And could we take, could we look at the city itself and could that be one giant multiplex? Because we, we felt that people were going to be hesitant about going 
going indoors. We're thrilled that they've opened movie theaters and now Broadway tickets are available for, for September. There's more and more things opening right now, but there would still be some of that hesitancy, which there still is. And now we've set up screens that are literally from the Bronx to the Battery, from uh, from Staten Island to uh, to Brooklyn to all places, and it's kind of exciting. It's I'm conjuring up Frank Sinatra and Gene Kelly singing a song right now. I mean, you almost had me. That was almost a song cue for me. It's exciting. It's exciting to build something that's new and to re, you know, to re envision what you what we've done before. So uh, it's without question, it's challenging and it's a bit nerve wracking, but it's exciting and it will be exciting to bring people out and together. People can purchase tickets for the festival. They come in two or four pods. And obviously we're following state and federal guidelines for COVID working very closely with the Department of Health um, here in New York State. It'll be an amazing, an amazing festival uh, kicking off with Lynn Emanuel uh, and John Chu's uh, In the Heights, and we're going to do it in the Heights. And then it will be simulcast to the eight other screens that we have throughout New York. So we're, we're excited. I, for one, have got my dancing shoes on and, and can't wait for the festival in general, but in the Heights particularly. Jane, at its core... Tribeca had a foundational approach, and I think that foundational approach was prescient in terms of where we would be today in the world as marketers and others look at capturing the most important thing that you can if you're trying to communicate with a consumer, and that's their attention. Because at the end of the day, when you're trying to communicate a brand message or a service, you you have to tell a story, and you certainly, your lineage, as, as I said, as a producer, you know how to tell a story or you know how to identify a good story. And again, whether you were making a film or a television program or a podcast, you need to catch attention. You need to create an experience so that you can drive an audience and communicate. That seems like the world we live in today. And maybe the microcosm of that is the Tribeca Festival. So, you know, talking about all those different outlets, I'd love to understand kind of the motivation there, but you know, you're also looking at gaming and, and other ways. So it's not any longer just a quote unquote film festival, right? It's a festival of content and experience. Well, let me answer this question a couple ways. First of all, when you talk about attention and you talk about capturing people's imaginations, one of the things uh, that we have to do as New Yorkers is capture somebody's imagination to come to an event and to sustain it for 10 days. People used to say to me, who's your biggest film festival competition? Is it Cannes? Is it Berlin? Is it Sundance? And I'd say, no, it's New York City. You know, on any given night in New York City, there are hundreds and thousands of things going on. Perhaps not during a pandemic, but the days that we've passed and the days that we're looking forward to, there's always something going on. And I would say that my biggest competition was Hamilton or the Rangers in a playoffs or, you know, there's always something. So 
we've always looked to do things a bit out of the box all the time and create create experiences for me as a producer i've always looked at what's the best story and how can you tell the best story and it didn't make a difference if it was just film but what could you do this in vr could you do this in gaming you look at the rich storytelling in gaming it's exquisite and it's otherworldly it takes you into other dimensions so we've added gaming a gaming competition this year uh, which we're obviously very excited about. Uh, we've also added podcasts. People's imaginations are captured by, by podcasts and there are amazing storytellers. And it's sometimes, and, and one doesn't preclude the other because it each, each different segment is, allows you to use your senses and your whole being in different, in different ways. And that's what the magic of storytelling is, is to transport you. And whether you're listening to something uh, in a car or on a walk or having somebody read it to you, they're all different types of that same experience in, in terms of listening to a great story or watching a great story. So Jane, now more than ever, it's crucial for all of us that storytelling is brought to you by a wider range of voices, a more diverse range of voices. How are you reimagining the storytelling aspect to make sure that it's more inclusive and more diverse? Tribeca has always had diverse storytellers uh, and a very diverse uh, lineup from our inception. That's who we are. Our company is almost 80% women and people of color. We really strive to be diverse in, in the stories that we tell. I've always looked for stories that are out of the box as a film producer uh, myself, whether it was something like When They See Us that we produced a year ago or um, the Quincy Jones documentary or The Irishman, which is a different point of view on a group of guys. We've also worked very hard with Tribeca Studios with a lot of our brand partnerships, such as uh, P&J. Mark Pritchard's been extraordinary in really looking to uh, create opportunities in a more holistic way for diverse storytellers. So we've been working with them on the Queen Collective, which is um, looking to bring female-driven directors into the market and uh, be able to provide them with mentorship and um, you know the ability to make their films and then to provide opportunities within the advertising world. Um, also working with Mark uh, this year on a program called Widen the Lens. And again, that is to celebrate the creativity of Black creators and to portray, portray those stories in a more holistic view. So we have a number of programs with Mark. We've also, in terms of the politics of it all, uh, worked very closely with Dick's Sporting Goods and have uh, produced um, a film that will actually be screening at the festival this year called The Price of Freedom. And that documentary is exposing and discussing the uh, hidden past of, uh, of uh, Americans' uh, debate with guns. And it's a very bold move for Dicks to take on this subject, but they certainly did, along with Doug McMillan and 
Walmart around, you know, what type of guns they're selling in their stores. You highlighted two or three important marketers. I will second that emotion relative to Mark Pritchard for sure. He's somebody who, as my grandmother used to give me sage advice, don't read people's lips, watch their feet. Mark Pritchard is somebody who is saying it, but actually doing it across the board. And I'm glad to see it's manifesting itself with the help of Tribeca. As we look at the need for creators to help us as a country, as a world, to come out of this, this period, this, this obviously, hopefully for us, once in a lifetime experience uh, that we've just come through, do you see the filmmakers rising, the creators rising to the occasion? Absolutely. Uh, the voice of the artist has always had a certain political overtone to it. I think that uh, so many times the public would rather listen to an artist than listen to a politician. Certainly, we, you know, we're presenting our first annual Harry Belafonte Award this year for artists and activism. Our first recipient of that award is Stacey Abrams. You see how artists can use their voices, whether they're novelists uh, or whether they're singers or whether they're comedians. You look at the work that John Stewart has done over the years. We actually have an amazing documentary at the film festival this year on um, Dick Gregory. And you realize that it's the voice of the artist that's going to make a change. The first year of the festival, which we, you know, again, it was, you know, three, four months after 9-11. And it's, it, we felt like, okay, you can't just start a film festival. You can't just start a film festival. We're still digging out from, we're still digging out downtown. And uh, Bob and I invited Nelson Mandela to the festival. For our listeners, I just want to be clear, Jane, that reference to Bob is to Robert De Niro. So I know that rolled off your tongue, but that might not be clear to everybody that you and and, uh, Robert De Niro really kind of started this all together and have been partners for a very long time. Yes, 30 years. I was just... uh, Just a child. Just a child. Just a child. Did anybody complain that he was breaking the child labor laws 30 years ago? I mean, come on, Jane. Now, I'll, I'll have to check and get back to you with HR. But at any rate, thank you for that, Michael. Uh, but at any rate, we asked Nelson Mandela to come to the festival, and he did. And one of the things he talks about was that when he was on Robben Island, the one night that the jailers and the inmates were one, and they laughed together and they cried together, is movie night. And he talked about the power of movies to bring people together. Because all of a sudden you start talking about things that you would normally be arguing about. And all of a sudden you were listening to people, to scenes to, that you wouldn't listen to in traditional conversation. You would interrupt each other. So movies, artists allow you that time to just sit back and listen in ways that um, you don't necessarily do and you're listening to a politician or you're sitting at a dinner table saying, I disagree with you. <laughs> well, but it's it's that ability to close your eyes and, and imagine. It's interesting because I hadn't thought of it till just now, Jane. So but I have to say it. We hear so much in the press today about gee, do artists have a right 
to use their platforms for opinion. And I find that to be so disingenuous because I think everybody has a right to use whatever platforms they have to render an opinion. We'll go back to the protest songs. Go back to Bob Dylan, Joan Baez, Woody Guthrie. Think about what they were singing about. You look at rap and you listen to some of like the great, you know, the real great ones, uh, Jay-Z, Nas, and you listen, they're poets. They are talking about what is going on on the streets, what is going on in their neighborhoods. And that's what music has always been about. People write about their experiences. I couldn't help but paying attention to the CNN special the other day on Marvin Gaye. That lyric, what's going on against the backdrop of today, it could have been written today. Yeah. It needs to be said, but it could have been written today and it would be descriptive of exactly what we're dealing with. Anyway, I digress, but I really don't digress because it brings back to the center the idea of storytelling and the idea of that storytelling, both for entertainment, but for information and for clarity and the ability to use the talent that, that creators have. And again, not just filmmakers, but the talent that storytellers have, that storytelling for good as well as for profit. I mean, both are okay. Both are okay. Everybody needs to put food on the table. Um, so if you're going to do it, you know, do it in a way that people are going to feel good about buying your product and doing things beyond just a purchase. And Jane, I, you know, I want to go back because right when you launched Tribeca, it was, was sort of the golden age of discovery of branded content. That's when everybody all of a sudden said, Madison Avenue, meet Hollywood Boulevard, or as Scott Donaton called it in his book, Madison and Vine. You know, there was that coming together. By the way, the communities were always together, but it was more formalized then. But the involvement of brands at Tribeca was never about product emplacement or product integration. It was never about that. You weren't, you know, your name here or a, you know, a, a soda can on the table. This was about realization that content and entertainment and marketing really were one and the same. It's about coming back to that storytelling. That's where the alignment, sure, it was logical for American Express and others at the beginning to say it's important to bring New York back and this is a vehicle to do that. But it was about that marriage of content and commerce, right? But uh, let me tell you, the fir that first year um, with Ken Chenault and John Hayes uh, coming into Tribeca and we had approached them. It was uh, first quarter 2002, so they pretty much had spent whatever uh, monies they were going to spend. And when they heard what we were trying to do, uh, it was also going to be the week that they were moving their employees back downtown to their offices. And Ken basically said, uh, I guess they're as good of people as anybody. Like, let's do this with them. They had a story to tell, but they wanted to reach out to, to their employees to give them something to look forward to uh, and to alleviate some of the fear that it was in, in being downtown and coming back downtown. And uh, people were afraid to breathe the air. Well, uh, I kind of, we're kind of back there now for a different reason. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, exactly. But the CDC said we don't have to wear masks if we're vaccinated. So I, I, I'm excited about that. 
and I know you are too. Jane, as we do wrap, and I so appreciate your time today and as well your commitment to doing what's right and what's important, both for the creative community and as well the civic portion of this. Is there anything particular you'd like to call out? The tickets are free. And because tickets aren't free, there's a lot more support that we continue to need for the festival to really support a lot of the work that we're doing. But it's going to be extraordinary this year. We also have, uh, if you can't make it to New York, we also have an at-home platform uh, where there's actually special programming just for the at-home audiences, as well as seeing the second screenings of films that are debuting at the festival. I'm just really excited about sharing stories and and, uh, being with the crowd and laughing again. So if you're in New York, I hope you'll join us. And um, if not, we'll see you at Tribeca at home or see you next year. Well, Jane Rosenthal, it's both a pleasure and a treasure for me and for our audience to be able to hear from you. I want to thank you for making good company that much better today. And uh, I underscore my excitement and I hope the excitement of all of us for this year's Tribeca Festival. It's going to be the best yet. And it's probably as important as anyone we've ever done. So, Jane Rosenthal, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity. I'm Michael Kasson. Thanks for listening to Good Company. Good Company is a production of iHeartRadio. A special thanks to Lena Peterson, Chief Brand Officer and Managing Director of MediaLink, for her vision on Good Company. And to Jen Seeley, Vice President, Marketing Communications of MediaLink, for programming amazing talent and content. Good Company is edited by Jessica Kreinchich.